0: When I first got involved in this project, however, it was not the global perspective that I was interested in. It was the Sikhs. It was the people in northern India among whom I had lived for a number of years, having taught at Punjab University, having done research among the Sikhs. And then during the 1980s, when this awful spiral of violence began between an activist community of young Jat Sikhs and the Indian government. And the killings began, and the torture, and the hijackings, and the bloodshed. I wanted to know why. Why was this happening to a community of people whom I love so much? The Sikhs are really wonderful people. Uh, they're uh, out, outgoing, adventuresome. I like to think that the Sikhs as the Californians of India. and that, That's a compliment, Manfred. in case you're interested. And to see these people whom I love so much get involved in such a tragic spiral of violence with the Indian government uh, prompted me to wonder know why. So I went to India to listen to the sermons of saint Janal Singh Bindarwale, this was after he was killed in 1984, in a tragic confrontation with the Indian government, uh, and to talk with his followers and to try to do, translate his sermons to make sense of them. I just want to know what was the message that he was delivering to the young people. And there were usually young men who came to his congregation. And what I expected to find was that a wily politician was using religion for political purposes. We often hear the media describe it that way, that religion is used for political purposes. And that's what I expected to find. But what I heard was really something quite different. Because Ben Wally was not by nature a politician, wily or otherwise, he was a country parson. He was a revival speaker. He was a person that was seeped in the tradition, a student of the Guru Granth the text of the Sikh tradition. He knew by heart all of the passages, all of the history. And when he spoke to the young people who came before him, you looked over at the crowds of young Sikh men who had shave their beard and cut their hair. Sick men are not supposed to do that, but he would look at them and he would growl and he'd say, you've lost it. You've lost the faith. You've lost the path. Look at you. You're trimming your beard. You're wearing shiny pants and pointed shoes. You're hankering after government jobs and and political positions. You're looking for good jobs with the positions with the university. You've lost the faith of the gurus and the masters. He said, you should realize that there is a deeper struggle in human existence than the simple task that you're undertaking. There's a deeper struggle, a war, there's a battle going on, a fight between good and evil and right and wrong and religion and irreligion. And you have to take up the sword of faith and become a soldier for your faith and get right with the masters. And some sick men did. They would listen to this clarion call and they would get right with the faith. Now, the funny thing to me, a rural Protestant lad from the Midwest in the United States, was that I had heard these words before. Something in my past echoed when Binderwale said those things, and I began to recall, ah yes, the revival meetings of the Midwest. Now, I don't know whether Many of you are familiar with the Midwest of the United States, but things can get very dull during the summer, especially in the small town where I live. It's kind of sleepy, and it's hot, and it's sticky, but then suddenly the revivalists come to town, and the music starts, and the preachers come out, and the tent is put up, and the sawdust goes, goes down on the ground, and people all come around and sing, and the preacher comes out. And, He shouts and he rants and he raves. I remember one guy especially who came in battle fatigues. He had camouflage suits and he stood in front of the crowd and he said, there's a war going on, a battle of the spirit. You don't realize it's a real war within your soul. And this very moment, you have to make a decision. Are you going to stand with the way of the Lord? Are you going to capitulate to the easy way, the easy life? Are you going to stand up and be a soldier for Christ? Will you now this night take up the mantle, the armor, the battle cry, and come down the sawdust path right here to the altar and be saved? Well, who wouldn't do such a thing? I myself was saved on several occasions because it was such an exciting and thrilling aspect. It was something different. I mean, all of our messy, boring lives was somehow going to be transformed in this extraordinary image of divine warfare. A great battle to be soldiers for Christ. Who wouldn't want to take up that clarion call? The interesting thing is, of course, it has a dark side. There has been within the Christian tradition those who've taken up that clarion call, that battle, and they've taken it into the political arena. And they've battled against what they think are the forces of evil in the American society and the decay of, of what they see to be racial mixing and the easy way in which uh, women and gays have uh, access to public power. And this troubles them just desperately, and they feel a need to go out and do something about it, to take up, become soldiers for Christ. And this was certainly behind the motivation of Timothy McVeigh. If you read the Turner Diaries, this um, novel that he used as his Bible, it was all about Christendom and how a, a new revolution was coming to America, how the order, the small group of righteous would battle against the secular state and bring about some profound new change. And true Christendom would come to America. So this image of warfare has been a part not only the Christian tradition, but also of Christian politics. This image of warfare is a part of every tradition. Imagine my surprise when a number of years later, after studying about Bendenwali, I was in the federal penitentiary in California interviewing this man, Mahmoud Lima, who was one of the chief conspirators in the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center, a jihadi loosely affiliated with the Al Qaeda network, uh, at that time in 1993, trying to bring the World Trade Center down immediately, uh, rather than the hour or so that it took on 9-11, it, bringing it down immediately, and the first tower would have crashed into the second tower, the second tower into all of the buildings in the shadow of those two en- enormous edifices. Over 200,000 lives would have been lost if they had been successful in 1993. When I gave this number to Abulima, he said 200,000 is the number that the Americans killed in Hiroshima in their act of terror. He had already done the moral equation in his mind. So I wanted to know why. I wanted to know what was in Abolima's thinking. No other journalist or scholar had interviewed him. It took me two years to get access to him in the federal penitentiary in Lompoc, California, where he was serving a life sentence for his role in the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center. I said Mr. Mark, he said, I said, "You just don't get it. You people are like sheep. Just the government has hidden the reality from you. Their newspapers, their media has bought into this kind of false reality. You're living such a simple, easy life. You don't realize the truth of what's going on." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "There's a war going on, Mr. Mark." battle between truth and evil and good and bad and religion and irreligion and your government is the enemy. I said, is that the reason why people bomb buildings? He didn't want to accept any any responsibility for bombing the World Trade Center because he's still hoping to get out on, on appeal, but he would talk about Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City Federal Building bombing. He said, yes, Mr. Mark. They want to send you a message. They want you to know that the government is the enemy. And then he sat back and looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, and now you know. Now you know. So what we see as acts of terror are, in the imagination of many of the people who perpetrate these acts, visible exemplifications of a hidden war, a war that we don't easily see, but which they desperately know to be real, to be true. A war between good and evil and right and wrong and religion and irreligion. I mean...